0: So the last time we were together, we, uh, we saw here in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 6, we saw that Jesus had um, he'd been rejected when he was in his uh, native village of Nazareth. But after that, he went with his disciples then, and what he did, did is he put them to work. He was no longer going to be the only preacher, the only person that did any preaching, and they would just listen to him and follow him around, which is what they pretty much did up till now. And he did the miracles and he did the preaching. Now he pairs them up in teams of two each, six teams, and so they go out two by two. He sends them out. This is a major change in how Jesus does things as he comes down into the last year or so of his ministry. He has um, called on them to go out and do what he did. He really is kind of commissioning them as apostles, although they're not fully there yet, they're still learning. But they were to go out, they were to preach that men should repent, it says in verse 12, and they were casting out many demons and anointing the oil uh, many sick people and healing them. So they did basically the same thing Jesus did, the preaching of repentance. And they were granted the power to do miracles because people didn't understand all of this message and so the miracles uh, really more or less ascertained that these guys were for real. They showed that they were from the Lord, they could do the real miracles just like Jesus did also. So, then suddenly, as these guys go out, they're now doing the work. The work is multiplying times 12, what Jesus did, because there's 12 of them out there. And we come to verse 14. We come to the story of John the Baptist. I like to entitle this John the Baptist's Return in a sense here. So I just kind of divided this section. It's a little bit longer section into five parts as we see what happened to John the Baptist. And you know the story, and the story actually had taken place earlier, the situation here, but now it comes to light as, as uh, Mark, in the writing of the Gospel, puts it in this place and sandwiches it to, between two areas where he talks about the disciples going out for some reason. We'll, we'll see what that reason was. So first of all, we see Herod's paranoia. Herod was a paranoid man in verses 14 through 18 there. And Christ's fame had been growing at this time, especially because as the 12 went out, and they're doing the preaching now, going out two by two, the word was getting out a lot faster now than it was just under Jesus. So it says that Herod, King Herod, heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And this is Herod Antipas. There's quite a few different Herods, because uh, there was Herod the Great, and then there were some children from him and so forth. But this is Herod Antipas, who was sort of a, a minor level king. You wouldn't even call him a king. He was more of a guy that was just in charge of the area of Galilee, although he liked the name king himself and kind of wanted that. He was born in 4 BC and he died in 39 AD. A little bit of history about him. And he was a terrible guy like many of the Herods were. He was a corrupt man. He was a sinful man for sure. But anyway, he heard it. What did he hear? He heard about Jesus. He heard about what the disciples were doing. He heard about the miracles and he heard about all that stuff. But especially about Jesus because that's what they were talking about. And he kind of wondered about it. It had become known all throughout Galilee, the northern area. And that first slide we put up as you came into church this morning was northern Galilee, basically the area where Jesus was doing all the ministry and casting out demons and healing people and so forth. And then in verse 14 it goes on to say that some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. This is what people were saying about all this information that Herod heard about Jesus. They were saying, well, that may be... Jesus is John the Baptist or something and and he's been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work at him, it says in verse 14. They're trying to justify in their name, in their mind, what was going on with all of this, the people in the area where Herod was. And you have to keep in mind that Herod was nearby. He was in the city of Tiberias. Now, if this is the Sea of Galilee, it's about seven miles across... Over on the on the west side, there's a city called Tiberias, and it was established, and Herod, Herod kind of made that his local kingdom. It wasn't the only one, but that's where he spent a lot of time. We believe that this is where he was when he heard this, because it was near to where Jesus was, up at the head of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee there. So... Um, the word got out, Jesus never went to Tiberias that I know, I don't think it's ever mentioned that he ever was there during that time, but he certainly was around there, and it wasn't very far away, it was only a few miles away from where he had been in Peter's house. But John the Baptist's name comes up, they were saying, is this John the Baptist, could he have been raised from the dead? Because they knew that he was dead, many people did, because we know that Herod killed him. But maybe he's been raised from the dead. But John the Baptist is a very key figure in in this time and period of history because John the Baptist was the greatest and the last of the Old Testament prophets. The greatest and the last one of the Old Testament prophets. Because he was great in some ways, really, because he was the first to witness Christ. remember that he even reacted in the womb when they talked about Mary bearing Jesus. And later John also would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 1, when he was referring to Christ as an adult there. And since he's the last... He's also called the greatest of the Old Testament prophets because he was really seeing all the prophecy that had taken place earlier down through the Old Testament from the beginning on. He'd seen it now come to fruition in Christ himself. And he was a relative of Christ, cousin. So he was a unique man, by the way. He was really quite a powerful preacher as well. It goes on to say that in verse 15 now, we're talking about this flashback of when John died, which we haven't heard about in Mark yet, but we're going to now. It says, others were saying that, this is actually maybe Elijah there, it says, in verse 15. That would be that that Jesus was Elijah. They're trying to figure out who this Jesus is. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. And certainly, in one sense, Jesus was that. Malachi 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there was much speculation as to who this was when they heard about Jesus all through Galilee. And Herod was hearing about it, too. Herod heard about it, and and he really didn't, like this too well. In some ways he did, in some ways he didn't. It was a love-hate relationship because he could, in one sense, like to hear what Jesus said because Jesus was such a good preacher, but on the other sense he had some guilt about John the Baptist in the midst of that. but I just want to say for just a moment make the point that since the disciples are now going out and doing the preaching, things are really happening. They weren't just sitting back. They weren't pew warmers anymore. They were out there and they were they were preaching and they were to go out and preach and then they would come back and they would deprogram with Jesus and so forth, which you'll see later in this text this morning, actually. So all that happened before now is happening because of their ministry. And I, I had to think about that a lot because um, I thought the fact that in every church, we should, everyone should be serving in some way. It doesn't necessarily mean you serve in that church, but you're serving the Lord some way that God has led you. But we really encourage people to get involved and serve, and if you don't know what to do, start praying about it or ask somebody about it, and, and God will lead you. But service is very important, and, and these guys were doing it. This would be the, these would be the guys that would change the world because Jesus would be going off the scene very soon. And so, like the old adage says, each one, reach one, teach one. You know, That's the way we ought to be. I want to encourage you, if you haven't thought about Place where you might be serving the Lord to pray about that. The little slip in the bulletin this morning was designed with that in mind. Our elders have been talking about that. We want everybody to think of that. I remember my good friend Hope Talent. She was quite a gal. She was a pastor's wife. Her husband um, died very early in life, but she just kept on serving and she went to the mission field. In uh, I think South America, a number of times, even named a school after down there. A long time, she was always calling us about the Ukraine ministry, always wanting to hand out tracts about the DeRue situation that we had, and she um, had. She finally went into a rest home just a few years ago and she, before you knew what was going on, she had two Bible studies she was leading there in the rest home, you know. We would go to see her and she was just full of positivism because she knew Christ and she wanted to spread the word and she was always encouraging people to do otherwise. She was out there doing it. In fact, I don't know if this is true, I think it is, but she told me what she wanted on her headstone was these words, don't just stand there, do something. And I believe that probably was what they put on her headstone. That's what she wanted. <laughs> and she's been, she was here a few times when she was well into her 80s giving testimony about the missionary work in South America that she had been involved with. God bless her. But you know, that's where we ought to be. Everyone reaching one. Each one, reach one, teach one. Back to the story here. In verse 17, now we come to Herod's paranoia. It was growing. It was growing in the time of John the Baptist and so he didn't like some of the things he said. So in verse 17 and 18 now it says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So, Mark gives us a little background about about Herod and John. The reason that John got seized or arrested by Herod was because of his wife. His wife's name was Herodias, but this wasn't his only wife. Just a little bit of background about Herod. Um, He had gone to Rome to see his brother Philip, and his brother Philip was there, and his wife was there, and her name was, was actually Herodias, and so he lusted after her, and so he got rid of his old wife and he stole Philip's wife from him and took her to be his own wife. Now that wasn't the only thing that he did in all of life. He was known for being married other times I've read and murdered his wives in those cases too. He wasn't a good guy, you would say. He was full of lust and murder. and. His family was known for that, and Herodias was no uh, angel either. She did not like John, because it says here in verse 18, John had been saying to Herod, which implies that John actually spoke with Herod personally, face to face, probably, some of the places where maybe John was preaching, we don't know where this took place, but he actually faced off with Herod. And he told them what it was. It's not law for you to have your brother's wife. That was Jewish law. That was biblical law. You're married to one person for all of your life, and that's what we teach here as well. But in this case, there was a confrontation between Herod and John, and the result was that Herodias did not like it. So it ended up that that Herod took John and put him in prison. By the way, now we're thinking of where Herod's other castle was, and that's pictured on the front of your bulletin. It's on the east side of the Dead Sea, not the Sea of Galilee in the north, a little one, but the big, long one down south that's known as the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. On the east side of the Dead Sea, there's a castle there, and if you go and tour Israel, you uh, you can actually see it across the water. And it's quite a mound, as you can see, but up on top there's, a, there's actually the castle that remains where Herod was. And about halfway down, you'll notice a little white line, which is actually a little road there, and uh, that is where they have found, actually, the dungeons. They think that's where John was. And even the iron hooks are still in the wall there. So these are real places. I like to make that point. But Herod was bothering was bothered in his conscience because of, of having John on his mind. And so the story goes that he sees John, put him in prison. There he was, but Herodias didn't like it. But Herod, Herod did it because John had pricked their conscience by his preaching. You know, Jiminy Cricket theology is not a good theology to have. Jiminy Cricket theology is the theology that says that let your conscience be your guide. But let me say that your conscience can lead you far astray, and you can can twist it and turn it. It can lead you astray unless it is clearly informed by Scripture. And that makes a difference, clearly informed. But Herod was having some problems with his conscience here. And um, I'm pretty sure he probably had it informed a little bit by the Jewish law since John the Baptist was there. But nevertheless... His wife did not, and she wielded a lot of power in the marriage, so she managed to convince Herod to put him in jail. This is Herod Antipas now, if you want to look him up. So it says um, in, excuse me, here, so get my notes squared away. It says in verse 9 things were starting to happen. Herodias now has a grudge. She has a grudge here, too. She has an axe to grind, we could say. And she was a wicked one. In verse 19, it says that Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. That's John the Baptist. She didn't like John. She didn't like the message that John gave to Herod. Because it was also to her, she was just as much guilty here as as Herod was. So it says in verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And so he did fear him. John must have been a fearless preacher. Obviously he was. And so the result is that he, he kind of wanted to protect John. But it says he kept him safe. He knew he was a holy man. It's kind of like the mafia people are always protecting the church because they're a little bit afraid of God, but they don't mind killing other people. So it says he kept him safe, put him in prison down there. And and when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. Whenever he heard John, he heard him preach a number of times. And probably, I think it's very possible, he even heard him in prison there. Wasn't very far down the mountainside. About 10 minutes walk down the trail, and he could be there and talk with John. And he was perplexed, it says. Uh, But when he did hear him, he he wanted to hear him. He says he heard him gladly there in verse 20. So Herod and his wife Herodias had a problem. They were a little bit like Ahab and Jezebel in the Old Testament. If you know the story, Jezebel plotted the death of innocent men, they both. They were kind of like that as well. Sin is like that from generation to generation Herod had some deep seated guilt, though. Deep seated guilt at the time of Christ. But I'm going back to the original story here. And he liked to hear John because John's preaching made sense in a lot of ways. And many people were coming to repentance. You know, he, he taught repentance and people were baptized. Even Jews were baptized, which wasn't normal. But they were being baptized because they were as sin, a sinner, much sinners as the Gentiles. So they had proselyte baptism during John's ministry there. John was a man who just stayed out in the wilderness, um, kind of like Stephen and Courtney are gonna do. You know, they were out John was out in the wilderness and he just ate bugs and stuff like that. But he was a fearless preacher wherever he went. Verse 21 goes on to tell a little bit more about this grudge problem. It says, but an opportunity came. When Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So, this is before John died. So, he has this big banquet, and it's. He's throwing a big banquet for himself. You know, it's kind of a self focused thing, a narcissistic kind of thing. And um, I'm all for birthday parties, you know, Uh, but I don't want any of my own because I'm just getting older, you know, (laughs) but as you do. But some people just want to want people to shower them with gifts. And Herod was a little bit like that. He was very much self-focused. And he threw this big bank. It was actually a birthday. I don't know how old he was there. Calculated. We know he died in 39 A.D., which wasn't too much time later. So he invited all of these people, his nobles, the commanders of the military were there. And other leading men of Galilee, which seems to imply there may have been some Jews there as well. There were some Jews there, leading people in Galilee. And they were all to this big birthday party that he was going to throw. And uh, he liked to hear John there. He liked to hear but uh, his wife decided that she would use this opportunity so it birthday party was the opportunity that she could really find herself a good, op, a good chance of doing something about it. So, once again, it's at this place pictured on the front of your bulletin. This castle here is called Maturas. And the castle and the place where the party was was probably up on the top. The ruins are still there. But down below, maybe, like I say, 10, 15 minutes walk down below was the, uh, where the dungeons are and probably were at the time. And By now, this party is getting on. All these people have come and they're having a celebration and there's a lot of drinking going on. Things are kind of loosened up, you know. And uh, there's some of them are half drunk and so forth. And um, Herod has his, um, his wife's daughter. His wife and daughter from another relationship and her name was Salome, it doesn't mention it here, it does in another place in Scripture, but had her come out and dance. She was a young gal, evidently, probably maybe a teenager, maybe 20 or so. So it says in verse 20, she came out to dance. That was part of the program. When Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Oh, this was an opportunity, and I think when Herodias saw this on the sidelines, this is my chance. I can get John taken care of, even though Herod protects him in the dungeon. I think I can work this out. So the girl is dancing there, and the guys are pretty much loosened up, you know, so they're so a little bit drunk now, you know, and Herod himself probably wasn't thinking all that clearly even at this point. <clears throat> and so Um, he vows uh, here that ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you there. And um, she would ask. Excuse me a second there. So um, anyway, it says that she asked there. Verse 24, and she went over there, the last part of verse 23 there, and he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half the kingdom. Now that's a pretty high price, half the kingdom. Whatever you want. Probably, I have to say, I think you don't have to guess at this too much, that the dancing that she did was probably fairly lewd. It seems to imply that kind of thing. With the setting we have of these, all these dignitaries there, it was immoral probably in some ways. We don't know exactly what it was. Lewd, lustful, lascivious, lascivious and so forth. And Herod liked it. Herod liked it. So he says, I'll give you half the kingdom. He wasn't thinking. But now in verses 24 and verse 25, we see the dilemma that that brings for Herod. Not for Herodias. This was what she wanted. She wanted to hear that he was willing to give her half of the kingdom. Whatever. Whatever you want. So it says in verse 24 that she, that would be Salome, that would be the the daughter that did the dancing, went out and said to her mother, she went over to whisper her to her mother, it's probably on the sidelines somewhere, because Herod had said this to Salome, she says, for what should I ask? Mama, what do you think? Should I ask for something special, should I ask for money, should I ask for place to live, etc., etc. What do you think? It's kind of the idea behind all of this. And uh, she said, her mother said to Salome, the head of John the Baptist. The head of John the Baptist. That's a pretty high cost. Now notice in verse 25, so she, that would be Salome then, came immediately with haste. By the way, there's that word immediately again that John uses over and over and over because his is like the newspaper version of the gospel. It's so fast and it's so immediate. Euthus is the word. He said, she came in immediately, John says, with haste to the king, this young gal did, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once, that's the same kind of idea as immediately, by the way, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Why did she want the head on a platter? Because she wanted to have proof. Herodias wanted to have proof that he was dead. And that was a common thing to bring the heads back of military organizations that they had defeated to show that this person really lost the battle more ways than one. But she was a wicked woman there on a platter. Can you imagine bringing a head, old bloody, in before these men? Herodias was cool, she was cruel, and she was crafty. And Salome did exactly what she said. She came immediately with haste there. Verse 26 goes on to say the king was exceedingly sorry. No, things have changed. Ready to give her half of the kingdom. But now we said, in his heart, he was thinking about this. He was exceedingly sorry. There was a great battle going on. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to them. Notice that the word oath is in the plural. Got an S on the end there. Because he probably had more to it than that, but there was, a, in a sense, kind of a plurality to his oaths. Oaths, And he had all his guests there, and if he didn't do what he said he was going to do, that he would lose faith's faith with his guests. Lose faith with his guests there. It could cause a revolt, too. It could cause a revolt right in the midst of that. So uh, good lesson to us to be careful about: your promises you make to people, you make to your children, and those kinds of things. Think through them very carefully, and make sure you're good and sober when you do that too. I would think makes a lot of sense. It doesn't say that they weren't sober, but it certainly implies that here. could cause a revolt. He did not want to revolt, because he was just a, he was a sort of a procurator of a certain portion of the kingdom. His father was Herod the Great, and he kind of oversaw the whole thing, but then he passed it on to four of the relatives, and Herod Antipas uh, was just the one who was in charge of a quarter of it, which was up in Galilee, kind of far-off place that wasn't really that important in those days. Galilee was a little bit like the other side of the tracks there. So he was really sorry. Now he's in grief over this and so now we see in verse 27 through 29 um, the fourth movement in this story here that John is going to die. It says in verse 27, and immediately, there's that word again, there's that word again. That Mark likes to use. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in prison. He had to go down the hill, probably thinking about this. He probably had done it more than once because Herod was pretty famous for killing people. He had to go down the hill to where that prison was, if that's where it was, and and get John out and put his head on the block and take care of things there. And next verse, verse 28 says, He brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl, that's Salome, that's the young daughter who did the dancing, and the girl gave it to her mother. Probably took less than an hour for this to happen from the time that Salome made her request. And it happened very quickly. Brings it up, presents it there to John. So Herod killed John. Herodias had part of it too. And... Herod killed the man that Jesus called greatest man that ever lived, you know, since that time, greatest prophet. In that sense, in Mark 11, it says, excuse me, Matthew 11 and verse 11, it says, truly, I say to you, Jesus was saying, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why, well, He was great because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets and he could see all of what the Old Testament prophets were saying now was coming through and he he was also the one who would see Jesus for himself so that pretty much makes him great in lots of different ways. And then Jesus says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John. What does that mean? Well, Probably for those of us who live on the other side of the cross. Now we see those things fulfilled also, and we see the Messiah come, die on the cross, was resurrected, born and you know, and born, died on the cross, buried, and then resurrected. We see all of that. So that, that puts us in a really good position. We have the full truth, and the scriptures are full and complete. So John was really the last of the old testament prophets there. And Herod was the one who was guilty of, of killing him there. In Matthew Matthew 11:14, Jesus said that John was the Elijah that was to come heralding the news. He was greater than the Old Testament prophets, but what we have today is wonderful, because we have the full truth of Scripture, and less excuse. First Peter, chapter one and verse 10 talks about the Old Testament prophets. It says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search in their inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he, that would be the Holy Spirit, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So Peter's looking back and just talks about the prophets looking and trying to understand what even they were told to prophesy about. They didn't fully understand it. But now it becomes clear. Now it becomes clear. And John's death would only serve to not put Jesus down, but it would, it would serve to elevate him because now John kind of closes out all those Old Testament prophets and now Jesus is the key one and now the apostles are going to follow Verse 29, what did the disciples think? when Verse 29 says, when his disciples heard of it, they, that would be the twelve, came and took, excuse me, not the twelve, it would be John's disciples, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So uh, they were the one that did that, and probably Jesus' immediate disciples, the apostles, were not as much aware of those things, but John's disciples finally came and took care of his body. Nobody from Israel, none of the important people from Galilee that were there at their party came to the rescue of John the Baptist. Except, of course, later his own disciples had followed him around. And now they would transpose their allegiance to Jesus instead of John. It's a transitional time. that goes from John's time to Christ and now the New Testament, as you can see. Whatever happened to John, I don't know, but it was interesting. I was reading, they believe they've got his head in a mosque in Damascus, for what that's worth. Um, I don't know if it's true, but the historians always bring up things like that. Whatever happened to Herod and his wife? Interesting thought there as well. History tells us, I think Josephus mentioned some of this, that eventually they were deposed and they were sent into exile in Gaul and died there. And um, one that I heard of said that they actually committed suicide. So it's an inglorious end to an inglorious reign. What about Salome? It's interesting. John Gill, historian, says that she died also when she was walking across a frozen river and the ice broke and she fell and her head was cut off by the ice somehow. There's a law of retribution sometimes. We know that, whether that was true or not, we know that they were not believers in any shape or form and had rejected Christ and rejected John's message and would forever rot in eternity in hell. Very sad, very sad ending here. John was buried, though, in verse 30. Talks about his burial, the apostles. Returned to to Jesus and told him all that they had done and um, taught. They buried him, of course. His his own uh, um, uh, followers did, and I believe have later come to be with Christ also. But the apostles were coming now back from their um, from their time that they had been away, going out two by two, or going kind of going back to the earlier part. And they they reported to Jesus all they had done. That what they had done would have been miracles, because they could do the miracles. They had the power. As apostles, now to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did and what they had also taught, what Jesus taught, they taught also repentance. Same thing, just carrying it on all the more. In verse 31, Jesus kind of ends this section here and said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They were tired. Probably, Jesus was pretty exhausted, too. Many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So John's death would end an era, and a new one would begin. But let me say, just like the story we heard this morning from the Central African Republic, there are many Christians who die for their faith in far-off places, but sometimes in America as well. But that's not something new. Happened with John the Baptist. And of course it would happen with Jesus. And of course it would happen with 11 out of the 12 apostles as well. But the gospel is worth it all. We actually do see Herod... Antipas one more time in Luke chapter 23. You don't need to turn there, but you want to jot it down. We do see him one more time in the New Testament when Christ is actually before him there in Luke chapter 23. Herod, it says, was glad to see him there. This was a later time after, of course, John's death and all of that. And Herod was glad to see him because kind of like John the Baptist, He was a little bit fearful of John, and probably a little bit fearful of Jesus, and he wanted to see the things that Jesus would do. He was interested in the tricks Jesus could do, so to speak. It says he wanted to see some sign performed by him. He was out to see the miracles, just to see if it's really true, you know. But it says that Christ would not even give him the time of day. He wouldn't even speak to him. He wouldn't even say a word to him. In other words, Jesus just ignored him as if he was not a ruler of, uh, at all. And really, in one sense, the word he was not. Jesus was the ultimate king, wasn't he? Still is. He wouldn't speak to him. So it says what Herod Antipas did. He was there with um, Pilate. It says that after that, he wouldn't talk to him. So they mistreated Jesus, it says. They mistreated Jesus. And Herod and Pilate became friends that day. They thought they were something special. They thought they were something big. But they, were, they would soon be terribly, terribly proven wrong in eternity. Like I said, ultimately Herod was deposed and his wife went with him. They went off to a foreign country and exiled in Gaul and later died there, perhaps by suicide, and damned his own soul, their souls, and the souls of thousands of others who followed them. And so they didn't bother to listen to the message of repentance, which John preached very clearly, and Jesus and the apostles did also. They, they rejected all of that. And if you reject... Jesus also, then you really stand with Herod and Herodias and uh, all those people who rejected Christ and have that inglorious end to look forward to as the eternity and eternal punishment. Let me say, be sure you know Christ and be sure you come to the place of repentance like we talked about last week. The change of mind about the gospel, the change of mind about Jesus The change of mind about the way you're living, you want to live for Christ now. There should be fruit. Where there is going to be fruit, there will also be clearly change in the person's life down in the heart. And it's not a matter of doing that for works. It's doing it because we have been given the greatest gift of all, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Herod could have been forgiven if he would have turned in repentance to Christ and, and to John. He could have been forgiven and his wife and Salome and the group of drunken procurators and important people there as well. But they chose not to. Wanted to save face. It is a sad story, and yet it begins the latter part of the gospel of John in as things move on and things are going to rapidly advance because the apostles are back and they needed a little deprogramming time here they needed a little time with Jesus to just kind of talk we did this and we did that and we went here and we went there and Jesus listens to it he said well you could have done better there you did really good here and he's training them through this whole time so going out two by two two by two but later on they would go out one by one and later they would go and they would be willing to die wherever they went that's our goal too isn't it and uh we want to be willing to do whatever Christ calls us to do, even if it means it's just us. It's just us. How about you? Well, let's pray and ask for the Lord's direction and blessing before Paul comes and leads us in a song. And I'll be in the back if you have questions, be happy to talk with you. And a um, little bit of a somber message, but that's the Scripture. The Scripture has many of those, as well as times of great joy. And we have the joy as born again Christians, we have the joy of knowing the full story even greater than John the Baptist. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for this story. There's a lot of history here and there's a lot of intrigue and the marriages and the immorality and the lust in the lives of the Herod clan is almost beyond belief and almost unbelievable impossible to untangle when we look at at the history of it and try to figure out. But we don't need to untangle that. We just look to the truth and uh, live by that. Living for Christ. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know we shall be saved by grace. In Christ's name we would pray. Amen.